Ah, why is it that I immediately get nervous? Yo, yo, welcome to episode one of Storyhook. (laughs) I'm Pierce. I'm Natasha. And I'm Julian. (laughs) Maybe Julian's just doing the opening. No, go, go, go. Welcome to episode one of Storyhook. I'm Pierce. I'm Natasha. And I'm Julian. Here, we'll be taking a look at chapter one of various manga and comic series to find out what makes a good first chapter. Creating a first chapter can feel like it's such a daunting task. You're expected to balance so many different elements perfectly. Chapter one introduces characters, settings, themes, lays down the ground rules for things to come, and it's going to be people's first impression of your story, so you're going to want to lead strong in hopes that you hook your readers for the second chapter and convince them to stay around. So... How do we do that? Well, we hope to learn by reading other first chapters, and we'll be doing that by analyzing each story in three main segments. The Look, where we discuss the visuals, like the art, paneling, character design, so on and so forth. The Feel, where we'll discuss the writing and the story itself, and how we felt reading it. And lastly, The Idea, where we bring it all together to look at the big picture. So the theme of the story, its message, was it engaging or interesting? After all that, we'll ask ourselves the all-important question. Did this story hook us as a reader? Were we hooked? So if you're an aspiring creator, artist, writer, mangaka, or just want to hear us talk about manga and comics, then stick around. Come join us. Welcome back to Storyhook. We've been sued for our illegal use of the Doug theme song. God, is that what that was? Um. So again, I'm Pierce. Uh, just gonna introduce ourselves real quick. I tried making a web comic many years ago on Smack Chiefs. Uh, that is a free web comic hosting site. And I dove right into just posting my comic without really even thinking very clearly about what the story was going to be. Um, it was mildly successful, but I've been looking to restart it for years. As far as what I'm into, I can't really pin down a specific genre or comic that I really like consistently. But overall, my favorite series is Bakuman. And as for what I'm up to currently, I'm reading Dr. Stone, which is okay. It's not bad. Cool. Cool, cool. Hey, I'm Natasha. Julian and I actually also started a webcomic. We started ours a few years back. Um, It was just kind of a sort of, let's see if we can do this. And then we just kept going because we were doing it and it was fun. We're taking a little bit of time to try and redo a little bit of it. Um, plotted out a little bit more, so it should be back up soonish. But it's it's a lot of fun to work on. Um, I love Magical Girls. You'll never guess what our comic is about. Magical Girls in a high fantasy setting, which are my two favorite things. So currently, I think my favorite, my all time favorite, is probably going to be Revolutionary Girl Utena. Big influence on me. Loved it. Um, I also read a lot of web comics right now. Shout out to Tiger Tiger. Loving it. Absolutely. I'm going to second that shout out. I'm Julian. I'm the third member of the DK crew. And I also am the co-author of the comic that Natasha mentioned um, in their introduction. 
Uh, it's the only comic project that I have ever gotten so far as to really saying was like finished. I've dabbled with comics before. I've had various projects up and running on SmackGs at various points in my life, but I've never really seriously put in um, the effort to creating a finished piece like we have with this current project, and I've learned so much, and it's so exciting taking something like that on, and uh, I think this podcast is a great place to really get inspired and get into the mindset of what it means to be a aspiring artist and comic maker and really start taking apart things that we love about the other comics that we read. And I read basically anything. Uh, I just love comics. Um, I'm not super into heroes and caped crusaders and that, but uh, I'll give them a try every now and again. So, yeah, I like it all. <laughs> cool. Cool. So which series are we looking at for today's episode? Well, today we are looking at The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. It is, obviously, a manga version of the game, or a manga retelling, I guess, um, because it definitely takes a lot of liberties, unique stuff in its hands. It's uh, technically non-canon, but what we're just looking at is the first chapter. I specifically wanted to pick this one to analyze how it does, how it, how it reaches out to people who have maybe never played Zelda before. Like, if I do, don't have access to the game, maybe I still am interested in the series. Would this help me pick it up? You know, just something like that. In the first chapter here, we get introduced to our spunky young protagonist, Link. Find out that he was an orphan boy who was adopted into a uh, group of fey people. Ostracized a little bit. And then his home comes under attack and he is summoned to be the hero. There's bugs. There's big bad bugs. It's good. Um tree has a nose yeah um <laughs> i think that's a really interesting reason to have chosen it i think it's really interesting to look at whether or not um adaptations of different existing mediums can create and produce an entertaining and interesting and engaging story in spite of a level of pre-existing familiarity with the source material mm -hmm. um and we'll get into whether or not we feel like the first chapter of ocarina time is effective at bringing people into the story of The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, regardless of whether or not they've played or care about the game at all, um, later, you know, in the episode, but I just think that's a really cool, uh, subject for us to tackle, and there's actually a ton of other comics out there that do similar things that I would love to talk about in the future, uh, such as the official Bloodborne comics that I'm looking at on our bookshelf right now. Yeah! We'll get to that someday. Someday. <laughs> or the gem comics. <laughs> Anyways. Do you guys have any background with the Legend of Zelda series with the video games? Oh, yes. Oh my god, yes. Like, I'm 100% biased, which is kind of part of why I picked this, and also because of what I said before, but yeah, Zelda was like a big part of my childhood and my adulthood. Yeah, Legend of Zelda rules. It like has always been and I think will always continue to be like a huge presence in both of our lives. Mm -hmm. We have so much Zelda stuff around our house and so much Zelda stuff on things that we own. Um, it's a great series full of love and imagination um, and really fun characters. And I think it's also the type of series you would not really expect to get a comic adaptation um, or, you know, even like any type of adaptation that way because the story you know link is a silent protagonist and the games typically tend to be rather 
open-ended you know it's not like you're following uh the twists and turns of a specific narrative through the game it's really more of like an objective based thing so taking that and turning it into something that does follow a narrative that works better in a traditionally you know like novelized or um comic adapted form is probably like a unique challenge to the people who decided to take it on and i think uh i think it's really cool that that's um, true they made one i feel mm-hmm. that i feel the same way about most like video game adaptation comics but especially it's interesting with zelda because um the only other one i can think of off the top of my head right now is i know there's a manga adaptation of kingdom hearts that makes a little bit more sense because kingdom hearts is approximately 99.999 percent cutscenes and dialogue <laughs> so um there's a lot of like character interaction and specific story beats to adapt one-to-one to that comic adaptation not really so with Zelda. You're not necessarily going to kill a bunch of pages on the brief bits of dialogue you can potentially get with every NPC by going up to them and pressing A. And the important story central dialogue in those games is probably limited to, like, a number of paragraphs total. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's unique in that sense, and I think that's cool. Yeah. What about you? Uh, it seems, from the sounds of it, that much less, much less than you guys, I've... um. I think what I've played was Link's Awakening, the Game Boy one. Um, and then maybe yeah. was it was it Oracle of Time? Is that one? Yeah. Um, yeah, Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons. I think are oh, those are the Oracle Game Boy ones Ages. where you could ride around in a kangaroo. Yeah, and all that good <laughs> Oracle stuff. Oracle one. Okay. Did, I guess you didn't, didn't get, get to, to that. the kangaroo. <laughs> no, actually, I didn't. I didn't. Be, I didn't even beat Link's Awakening either. I Shame. haven't beaten Link's Awakening either, and Me it's either. my favorite game. In Link's Awakening, the part that I got up to was, do you remember there's, like, a whole, like, trading system in that game where you have to, like... Yes. Yeah. So there was, like, pretty... What I thought was a pretty obvious next dungeon that you were supposed to go to to progress the story, but I had, like, a Chomp Chomp, is that what they're called? The chain chomp? Yeah, I had him with me, and, like, I tried... I think her name is Bow Wow. <laughs> I tried going to this dungeon, or, like, where I thought would lead me to the next dungeon, and, like, someone stopped me and was like, hey, what are you doing with that here? You can't bring that here. Go get rid of it. But it was, like, it was a part of the story where, like, I, I looked it up, and I couldn't trade it away until after I was done with that dungeon. So I was like, I think... I think I just broke the game. But... Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I maybe I couldn't maybe that's not where I was supposed to be going. Link's Awakening is full of all kinds of goofy stuff like that. That is why I could not beat that game. <laughs> that's valid. I got stuck on the part where you're constantly getting followed around by a ghost. Um, <laughs> and I could not figure out what to do about it, and the ghost stops you literally every three seconds to say some really cryptic stuff that doesn't really help you figure out what to do. And think that's where I left off. <laughs> Alright. All right, so should we take a look at the, uh, look? Did you say, take a look? Or did you say, take a hook? Because uh, that's the name oh, of our uh, podcast. I'll see myself out. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. Let's dive into the first section, the look. I'm going to go ahead and say, it looks good. I think that the style of it is really cute. 
and classic like um natasha threw out the word nostalgic while mm-hmm. we were reading through it earlier and i 100 percent think that like regardless of what types of comics or media you grew up with there is something about the art style of this manga adaptation that does just kind of look nostalgic it looks like uh it really reminds me of classic anime and classic manga and mm-hmm. it just has this uh just has this really cute um old cartoon not necessarily in the sense of like old western cartoons but like a cute old classic anime look to it that is really charming yeah i totally agree awesome i'm i'm glad i i think definitely it looks like a it almost kind of reminds me of akira toriyama at some points i think that's a super apt comparison yeah at some points link reminds me of like a little chibi mario too if it's like the classic running pose with like you know one arm out front one arm out back and like the the legs being the other way mm-hmm. like i think they draw him like that a couple times yeah you could definitely you can definitely see the uh nintendo influence in some of those like really fun poses like it's just something like so fun about them yeah i was actually gonna say i think i'm glad that you guys bring this up because i was gonna say uh not only do i think it's like super cute and classic looking i think that goes like outside of the overall art style and design inclinations and into the way things are expressed in the comic. Yes. Like the way certain emotions are expressed or when certain characters get angry or the way that they will suddenly oversimplify things for the sake of a visual gag or something like that in it. It all just has this like really, really cute, um, easily readable, again, just like very like what you would expect to see in classic anime look to it. And God, it's just so charming. It's like it's like junk food like I just (laughs) it's so easy to read and look at and it's so fun and I I absolutely adore it yeah I 100% agree (laughs) I think this was actually originally drawn in the year 1999 right am I wrong about that I feel like you're probably right because this came out a while ago Uh, we were actually just looking into it specifically because we flipped through it and saw some bird people and we're like whoa are those rito they're not this came out before when <laughs> author's um. note rito are recurring bird people in the legend of zelda <laughs> franchise for any of those of you who are not aware <laughs> they don't appear in the legend of zelda ocarina of time so the fact that there are bird people in this manga is crazy but they're not in the first chapter um anyways yes it is it is a it's relatively it's been drawn a while ago yes <laughs> any other like Anything else about the visuals, like, other than just overall incredibly charming and easy to read? Well, I got something, um, if you want me to just throw something out there. Like, specifically, uh, not to just... I, I hate to just, like, nitpick things or find anything negative to talk about, but I guess, like, if we're talking about visuals, like, overall, I think it was a delight. But if we're gonna, like, you know, talk about all of the synthesized pieces and how they work together to create a really charming whole and how effective it was at all the different elements of visual execution that go into comic making... I don't think it did anything especially crazy with uh paneling, paneling. Yeah, yeah like paneling which is fine page layout it, it didn't really you know it didn't really like let's do anything crazy yeah let's let's get to paneling later okay for sure yeah we'll, we'll we'll talk about paneling in a sec i wanted to discuss first i think it's important to mention that with this first chapter the first like 18 out of 20 pages was in color and only, like, the last few pages mm-hmm. were in black and white and grayscale. Yeah, and that's that's something that I've noticed in a lot of, like, big-name sort of manga. Um, Like, the first few pages of each book will be colored to, like, help grab your interest. Um, But if 
but just reading the first chapter, yeah, it's uh, a little jarring when it just cuts off. Totally. I I was yeah I wasn't gonna say it in a way that it's jarring. I just think it's uh it was just important to mention. I don't I don't usually see that in comics or manga. Although you know well you see it more predominantly in Western comics, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, I was gonna say the application of color in western comics without getting too into it uh tends to turn me off but the way that the color was used in this first chapter i thought was actually done pretty well and by that i mean that i find that in western comics maybe each panel will be colored in a way it's like yes the building has to be gray and this has to be this color this has to be this color but then when you take a step back and look at the page as a spread as a whole it can tend to be a little disharmonious like color wise and nothing really flows together i did not find that with this mm-hmm. i found that typically where you would have your white spaces between panels they all have that filled in with color and everything is like a greenish bluish hue there the trees uh the water the sky links and all the other characters clothing are green so it all really matches up and they fill those backgrounds with that same sort of color to all it all looks like it flows and fits together even across the the spread of pages and they even keep that together when time passes and the sun starts to set and it goes to sunset and then night the palettes tend to match that as well so i really appreciated that but i can't say that without having read a lot of other manga with colored pages it's hard to sort of get a context for um where it stands against those but having very little experience reading colored stuff that's that's my take on it yeah i totally agree um in in my experience with reading manga whenever they did have those uh few colored pages at the front Usually they were colored uh, much softer compared to like Western comics, which I love both the visuals of like bold colors and soft colors. Um, but there's definitely something that, like you were saying, makes it flow a lot better. Definitely. Yeah, I actually hadn't even really noticed that. I think that's a great observation. I wasn't really paying attention to how the uh, overall color composition of the page looked as a page. I was definitely paying attention to it more on an individual like panel to panel level. Um, so that's a really great, interesting observation, and, uh, that probably has a lot to do with, again, why I described it as, like, eating junk food and it just (laughs) feeling so good to look at and being so easy to read. Mm -hmm. That probably goes a long way. Regarding character designs, I guess we sort of mentioned this a little bit before. All the characters look rounder, they're drawn more softly to look more friendly, and they're, like, all little small people. That's really nice, that fits with, with who they are. Uh, but I, I just, this tiny little nitpick, I think that Link, his hair tends to look kind of sharp compared to everything else. It's like drawn with a lot of detail, a lot of individual strands, and it tends to set him apart. Now, that being said, I don't know. Maybe that was done purposely since he is not part of the village. So maybe that was a choice that was made. Maybe not. How else are you supposed to know he's the protagonist if you can't recognize him by his hair? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) No, I definitely agree, though. I I feel when I was looking at it, I definitely felt like it was an intentional thing to make him look to make him stand out, especially compared to the other characters, Um, because 
Link being Link, he turns into a warrior of sorts. He has a he, sword. He gets a, he gets a <laughs> oh my bad. He gets a sword. Spoilers. <laughs> Whoa. Um so I think I think having those sharper features helps to characterize him a little bit as well, but that's probably outside knowledge and we're just looking at the first chapter, but I, I think it was intentionally done to help distinguish him. Yeah. Once again, I'm over here feeling like kind of a dumbass. I'm <laughs> impressed that you guys like picked up on such a subtle detail of his characterization and design, whether to nitpick or, you know, get into why it might have been a deliberate decision, because I just that I glossed over that entirely. I think the only thing that I really had to say regarding character designs was that they're expressive and fun and fairly faithful, uh, you know, to the source material. I think they strike a happy medium of being a stylized adaptation of the source material characters and also immediately recognizable for anybody who knows who they are. Well, Julian, that's that's two strikes. On the third strike, we're just going to have to <laughs> kick you from the podcast. <laughs> I already offered to let myself out, but okay. <laughs> I'll be careful. I'm on thin ice. <laughs> Next time, I'll have all of the important observations. <laughs> Boy. All right. Uh, let's talk about the paneling. Yeah. Well, with the paneling, my usual view on paneling is that it doesn't usually matter as much if they make, um, if they make it super unique. Like, I am totally fine reading a, like, pretty basic layout. Like, even the, uh, those simple four-panel comics that are just four squares, like, if it fits the story, if it fits the art style, then yeah, it's totally fine. Like, yeah. I don't think there needs to be anything particularly unique. Um, one thing it does do that I always enjoy is when um, panels don't limit the art, where sometimes there won't be a panel and it'll just be a slightly larger illustration that goes behind the other panels or if a something pops out of it. Like, I know every comic does that, but I always find it really charming. Yeah, I think a variety of comic panels is is healthy. Generally, mm-hmm. uh, generally, I agree. Like, I most of the time view paneling the same way I view font choice, where you shouldn't notice it. It should match with the theme, and it shouldn't be something mm-hmm. that is jarring enough that you think about it while reading. It should be pretty seamless. That being said, I do know Agreed. that there are some series out there that the way that the images flow across the panels can be really enjoyable and I can't say that I'm very adept at noticing it that that much yet uh but well you're gonna be (laughs) (laughs) like I guess I can mention just quickly one example um just a few days ago I was looking at Ruby that's R-W-B-Y the rooster teeth one they have like uh, several versions of that manga series but I was just glancing through one of them and the way that uh, the main character's scythe moves across and extends across panels, it's exactly where your eye is supposed to go as you move across the page. And it was just like, really, it was done in a really fun way. Again, not that any story has to include this, but it was just like, oh shit, look at that. That's really cool. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff like that always adds a lot of fun flavor. Um, Again, not necessary, but when there are cool things like that that you do notice in a positive way it's like oh that's cool yeah 
Here's something I'm wondering if either of you guys uh, in particularly picked out or noticed about the paneling, but I'm actually flipping through it again right now to kind of give myself a refresher and looking at various pages. And something that I don't think, uh, here's my third strike, so I guess this is the last thing I get to say on the show, but um, something that I really don't think jumped out at me or that I noticed uh, while reading it, but I am definitely noticing while I'm going back and kind of paying attention to it, is that almost every single page makes use of that uh, paneling and layout technique where there is at least one, sometimes multiple drawings that are not contained within panels. Yes, and that's that's one of my favorite things. Like again, it's just a small touch, but it really just it's it's charming. It makes it feel like oh, this is a special thing. I think like when Saria, one of the characters, was first introduced, like her introduction was in or it, it there wasn't a panel. It was just like panel, panel, Link's doing something, and then Saria's here, and she's there, and you can tell she's important because there like there's this pretty thing behind her and she's floating outside of the panels and it's like yes you're supposed to look at her she's a character yeah just simple things like that and i feel like that's usually the context that you see that used in is to like draw attention to something uh really specific but like leafing through a bunch of pages from this manga they use that technique really uh liberally like Mm -hmm. all the time just for fun it seems like like it's not always necessarily for something extremely important that they want to make sure that you stop and take a moment to really soak in, it just kind of seems like they do it for fun and variety. Yeah. Um, like, if there is a character who is, like, jumping or swinging a sword or doing any kind of interesting action, rather than having it be contained in a panel, it seems like their immediate inclination was to have it break out of the panels. Like, if someone's doing something, give them the space to do whatever it is and draw around it. And, like, that's cool. I don't think you see people really, like... um go ham with that (laughs) all the time yeah i think it's kind of something that at least myself as a creator internalized the idea that you should do sparingly if at all and yeah and they definitely did that really well now that you mention it all right there's my first strike (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel like i could probably learn to incorporate that a little more and with my own stuff however i do have a little mixed feelings uh with their application of it What's here? I found that in some instances when they had those drawn figures that were coming out of the panels, you need to be careful with where they're leading your eye because there were there were a couple instances where I would follow the silhouette of the figure that was like extending beyond its panels only to wind up in another panel that wasn't in its chronological order. I can think of one example, I think it's Link's intro page where he's jumping through the trees. His body takes up most of that page and his legs come down and go to the bottom left of the page, which is usually where you want to end when you're reading, you know, when you're moving your eyes across the page in a right to left manga format. But there is a panel on the bottom right of the page that you're intended to read afterwards. So that was a little jaunting. I think I may have experienced that one other time, but that's not really important. Um, Just be careful when you do that sort of stuff. I can't put my finger... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't put my finger on another specific example either, but literally the one you named as you were saying it, I was like remembering the exact same thing happening to me at that scene. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that's that's definitely something that's important in comics is where your eye is led. That was in my 
one comic class that I took. That was one of the things I learned was to make sure you direct the flow of the panel to the next panel that you're supposed to read if possible. Just because it makes it flow easier. It looks good. Um, you know, obviously you want to angle things, um, make the composition in such a way where it's easy to look over the entire image and then bring it back down to the next one. So definitely something that's important. And yeah, it's one of those things I think where like, if you're doing a really good job at it, it's something that people don't notice. Mm -hmm. Um, one of those like little secret puppet show things you kind of do in the background to, uh, make the whole illusion of all of the various pieces you're synthesizing together make sense and work. Yeah, and sometimes when, for example, the one that you were just talking about, when it doesn't do a good job of that, it can kind of break the illusion for you for a moment. Like, oh shit, that's not what's happening next. Uh, hold on, this is a comic. Let me go back a couple panels, dive yeah, back in. Yeah, it totally de-immerses you. Precisely, mm -hmm. yeah. Especially if it sends you, like, scanning over the whole page to try to figure out which direction you were supposed to go to. Like, so I run into, this is a little bit of a tangent, but related, when um, you are waiting for a series to update, like, this happens a lot with webcomics, where maybe it only updates once a week or once a month, and you get one page. There is no worse feeling in the world than when you accidentally, like, look at the page wrong or something and just take in the entire page in the wrong order or something like that, and you don't get to experience that nice flow of immersive reading, mm -hmm. um, there is, like, no worse way for that to go, I think, than if it takes you all over the whole page trying to figure out the right way to read it, because then you've just, like, totally... Not that you can't ever get it back, but, like, God, it just sort of, like, makes that entire page into a weird, difficult hurdle for you for a minute and, like... It spoils things that are yet to come and like I don't know it's just a it's a bad vibe <laughs> yeah I think that yeah. I think that's that technique is really tough I definitely don't have a grasp of that myself yet it is really difficult and I wouldn't say that you always have to worry about that like worrying like oh but this person's arm doesn't lead the person's eyes to the next panel perfectly like I think it I would say it's impossible to do that every single time but it can be oh, fun absolutely yeah so it, it can be fun when possible but i wouldn't try to do that all the time cool anything else for visuals uh one more thing i would like to say and this this <laughs> Go for might be just me but i i find um I found that in several instances I kind of felt lost spatially or geographically with where things were taking place. Um, I don't know if this is just me because I I know that. Ooh, this is this is interesting. Please go on, but I this is this is gonna this is gonna be this is gonna be interesting because I actually had some stuff to say about that too. Uh, okay. Please continue. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I I just I feel like I this may be a problem I have, but I don't enjoy where I don't know exactly where people are sitting in a room or how a scene I, I not that I need every detail but I'd like to know where characters are positioned in a place and when they move I like to be able to know where they are as well so it can be just sort of jaunting when I sort of lose track of that and I can't say that I have the vocabulary to express myself any more specifically than that. Um, I <laughs> thought it might just be a personal thing, but what were you going to say, Julian? I think it's really interesting that you say that, and I think that actually might um, 
indicate one of the potential downfalls of doing a direct adaptation of a, another piece of media because I did not experience that issue and I actually made a comment while reading to Natasha about the reason I think I didn't experience that issue is because the attention to detail and the capturing of almost the exact 3D space that these scenes occupy in the game, the few times that there are panels or scenes that particularly frame stuff, is extraordinarily accurate. Like the village in the few, like in any scene where the village is framed in a way that you can see scenery or see what's going on, generally speaking, you can probably recognize exactly where something is based on where it is in the game. And so going in with that outside cursory knowledge of what Kokiri Village looks like in Ocarina of Time, the game, I never really felt spatially lost because it was a really authentic recreation of yeah. that space. And as someone who maybe isn't as familiar with Kokiri Village on the game version of Ocarina of Time like yourself, I can totally understand why it would be disorienting if it was written with an assumption that people know mm -hmm. what these spaces are like. Definitely. And I think that that also kind of is a unique challenge posed specifically by this one, because uh, again, kind of going back to what we were saying at the beginning of this episode about what's unique and challenging about adapting something like a game like Zelda into a comic is that in a video game, you don't necessarily have every location built to facilitate a specific sense of scene and framing like you do in a comic. You have a lot of wide open spaces that you're meant to navigate as um, obstacle courses or to explore in a more open-ended sense. And so there might not be locations that lend themselves as well to framing scenes or action in comic form without you kind of having to... Um, I'm blanking on the word that I wanted to use, uh, make shit up <laughs> without you kind of having to invent your own scenery. Um, like you either invent your own scenery and frame stuff, uh, more specifically the way you want to, or you do a really faithful recreation and maybe run into the roadblock of the environments and scenery seeming a little bit strange and unfamiliar or just undefined to people that don't come in with that outside knowledge. Yeah, I, I uh, cool. <laughs> again, I can't say that I have the experience to word myself better with that particular issue about being geographically, um, to know where you are. <laughs> uh, see, I see, I don't have the vocabulary to describe it, but um, yeah, maybe, maybe in another episode, I'll be able to do that better. Hell yeah. You guys ready to move on to feel? Absolutely. You know it. I was trying to think of a pun with feel, but I couldn't think of anything. I'm really feeling it. There it is. Oh, that's better than what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're all feeling it. <laughs> okay. Let's jump in the feel. Feel. That feel when? I will dropkick you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, with a feel, again, I'm going to throw this word out because... This is how I felt. Nostalgic. It the the writing and the flow of the story itself, like it it's definitely one of those like this is the start to an adventure. This is the start to a nineties adventure. Like we were actually just discussing this last night when we watched the first episode of Del Toro Quest. Del Toro Quest. Which we'd never seen before. And we were just like, wow, this is not written well, but it's really charming because of how like 
it's clearly just this is the start to an adventure hold like, on relies on tropes in a fun and comfortable familiar way hold on hold on del Toro quest has a tv show del Toro quest yes. has an anime specifically an anime. <laughs> like like japanese anime yes yes <laughs> you should look into it because it's really i read fun. all the books of that as a kid oh man well then you are in for a treat because the entire del Toro quest anime is on crunchyroll my friend oh my god i don't know if this is good or bad <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very good it was very fun we it's, had a lot of fun yeah it's extremely fun and they like it's kind of like not super great and i mean it's it's not, it's bad. not bad like the the cg i was gonna say like they use cg for all of the monsters to try to like stay more true to that like really weird unique art style that all the monsters are drawn in for the book illustrations and it's not bad like you know it's the same thing where like seeing the cg up against the animation is kind of jarring but like the cg itself isn't bad and the designs are kick-ass still yeah and like you can tell it's like a 90s cartoon so you can just kind of let the cheesiness slide a little bit and it's honestly pretty well animated yeah it was i really enjoyed watching it you should definitely give it a shot yeah it was fun as hell we watched like four episodes Okay, maybe maybe I'll talk about that next time. Hell yeah. But back to nostalgia. <laughs> yes, nostalgia. Just like Del Toro Quest, it it had that same sort of cheesy like, oh, this is the this is the kid who's about to go on an adventure. Here's us setting up the adventure. Here's a little bit of lore, just a little bit of info dumping, just a little bit just to get you familiar with the general idea of what's going on. Like it's it's fine. I wouldn't call it like phenomenal writing, but I mean, that's fine. Sometimes it's just fun to enjoy something cheesy and fun. I said fun a lot. I'm sorry. That's very redundant. It's like it packs you a little lunch. It's like yeah. it packs you a little lunch with a little sandwich and a little like bag of M&Ms and a little Lunchables brownie. Absolutely. And it gives you all of these little pre-portioned pieces where you're like, oh, I know all this stuff is going to come into play later. And I feel like I now have the tools to like sink <laughs> my teeth into this story. And that's a good feeling. It is. It is. It's. Dare I say it again? Fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you're out. All right, bye. (laughs) I'm getting the feeling you found it to be fun. Um, yeah. It's really interesting, especially (laughs) considering that there was, like, in bright red letters on the cover of the manga, no fun allowed, (laughs) clearly stamped onto the front of it, so I don't really know where you got that from. Actually, I missed that part, so I guess that's my strike. (laughs) (laughs) Man, you know, we're just not going to have a podcast by the end of this. Yeah, God. (laughs) Anyways... Go on. Who hired us? (laughs) (laughs) I actually disagree with it being fun on that part. I got that. I got that it was sort of, um, and maybe this is only because I'm looking at this in retrospect, you know, it being an older series, but I thought it was relying on that too hard. And, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. this was just of its time, you know, it would not have even been something that you would notice. But me coming in, reading it for the first time, you know, I don't think it aged too well, in my opinion. That's I fair. I would have liked if they did set it apart a little more and did make it a little more unique, because I was like, all right, I get it. Like, it, it, didn't, it didn't turn me off, but it didn't grab me either. It was like, I get what you're going for. I kind of want a little something to make it more unique. And this is, mm-hmm. like... I know that might be difficult to do considering Link is mostly in the games a silent protagonist and giving him specific needs and wants and personalities could 
maybe not mesh with the idea that people had in mind with Link. But Link aside, and just speaking more generally, I thought it was leaning too heavily into that uh, those sort of cues. But at the same time, that's totally mm-hmm. valid what you were saying, Natasha. Like, if sometimes that's fun. You don't want to think about something in particular, and you just want to lean back into something nostalgic and familiar. Unfortunately, I, I didn't get that from this. Yeah, that's totally fair. And again, it could also just be because I've played the game before and you haven't, which like definitely influences this, which is definitely part of why I wanted to read this together because... That's true. Yeah, I wanted to get your input because me reading it, having a blast. I've played the games before, but I definitely wanted to know like how it came off to somebody who hasn't played the games before. Yeah, I think it, you know, it gets into that interesting question that you posed at the beginning of the episode. Like, does... Is it a faithful adaptation that remains entertaining outside of the context of being already familiar with the source material? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's definitely a really fair and valid point. Yeah, because I absolutely admit it is so tropey and straightforward and like, I would love if it had more details, more of a intro, just, you know, I'd love that, but I'm also totally fine just taking it at face value. Yeah, I guess um, if I'm really, like, listening to what you guys have said each on it, if I'm really, like, processing it through my own mental filter here, I really think that I derived the majority of my enjoyment from seeing how things I was already familiar with were interpreted into cute little scenes and how those were framed. Like, I think I really did enjoy seeing, like, oh, okay, how are they going to turn, like, the first part of the game where you are in the Kokiri village into the first part of the comic? And seeing that it wasn't a direct adaptation of you wake up and you go do the exact same stuff you do in the video game, and instead they spent, like, a little bit of time just showing the characters being cute and living there and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that by contrast to maybe what I expected going in. Um, maybe it w- would be exactly what I expected, again, had I not played the game, so... Yeah, that's fair. I really think that, like, it was probably as fun as it was for me specifically because I really enjoyed seeing those deviations Mm -hmm. and that elaboration on the source material. Wait, hold on. Wait. What? Is that what that is? Our cat is snoring. Oh. (laughs) Okay, my bad. So, feel. (laughs) (laughs) I want to cut to the feeling. Oh, yeah. Gonna get sued. I wanna cut to the feeling. I guess going off what you said and me coming in as the person who hasn't played this game or many other Legends of Zelda games, uh, yeah, some of the tropes just seemed like tropes. Like there was the character Mido and his gang of unnamed people who were like the bully and Link's mm-hmm. best friend, Saria, who is really, really cute. Saria's great. She's she's adorable. Uh, but I, I didn't really... Again, it didn't turn me off. It just didn't grab me. I got what they were going for. Yeah. I should say, though, as far as the fantasy and buildup of it, like, you know, obviously I know of the Deku tree. I know that it's a gigantic tree. But beyond that, I hadn't known anything else going into this. But I think that, again, from someone who hasn't played a lot of the games... I thought it worked in its fantasy elements pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, that each Kokiri has their own fairy and that the fairy is like a part of their arm and leg. 
the way that they work that into the story that sort of it's not heavy-handed they they work in those sort of rules very very smoothly and i mean mm -hmm. it's a gigantic talking tree with a face like you know <laughs> trying to look at this from a point where i don't know what the deku tree is already like that's pretty cool that's and like he opens by starting to talk about what like one of the first gods that brought was it fire to the land or something like that yeah yep. also a little detail fun little detail in that scene for anyone who is familiar with Zelda lore, is that when he gets his story interrupted by Link, he was about to talk about how the last goddess was the goddess of courage, which is the one associated with Link. So that's why Link interrupted at that exact moment. It's just a little nod to everyone who's played the games before. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I had... Yeah, and I was going to say that works in that it's already starting to foreshadow things. Like, I didn't know what it was talking about, but mm -hmm. I got the obvious feeling. It was like, okay, they're definitely foreshadowing something. And I thought that they worked that yep. in really well. Because sometimes in the first chapter, when you're trying to lay down your lore or, or your world building, sometimes you can come off as heavy handed or like, look at this fantasy thing. Isn't it cool? You know, it's much more immersive mm -hmm. when you're able to do it in a really smooth way. And I think they did that here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. The first chapter really gives you a nice little bit of everything. Like it gives you a little bit of cool fantasy world building, gives you a little bit of just like cute, fun, simplified character antics with little visual gags. It gives you, even at the very end there, there is a great monster design. You, you, get a, you get a little taste of all the fun stuff that you sign up for when you sit down to read a fun little fantasy thing. Yeah. Definitely. I would just say I do wish I connected with Link a little more as a character. I know, again, he's mostly a silent protagonist, so like, what sort of personality do you give him? But there was, there was a moment where Link was talking with Saria, and Saria says to Link, Link, you're my best friend! And Link has, like, a little moment where, in my head, I'm like, oh, he should totally, like, respond with a heartfelt, thank you. Like, you know, thanks for being there for me. But instead he responds with, okay. And it's like, oh, it doesn't really seem like a reciprocation of emotion. And I was like, oh, in my head he said thank you. But even that, like, just <laughs> if I can get that sort of emotional connection between them and that Saria is, like, an important person in his life, I think, like, that would have gone a long way just to be like, oh, this is something that he, something, someone that he cares about, and this is something that he values. Yeah, that's actually something I noticed and forgot about, too, is that whole scene with Saria, um, it, it definitely felt a little, I don't want to say fast, but, like... I definitely agree. I wish they'd fleshed it out a little bit more, given a little bit more feeling. But that's also because I love Saria and I want to see more of her. But yeah. I definitely agree with that. I do feel like this first chapter felt rushed. I do feel like it was really quick-paced. It was trying to lay down ground rules really fast, and I felt like it was more concerned with setting down plot than it was with story. And it's important to differentiate between those two. And I guess this comes back to them, you know, leaning on old cues for the time. You know, it's like, this is an adventure. The adventure begins. And, you know, I think I've said my part on that already, how I feel about that. Mm. But I just felt like I would have liked if they 
took the time out to you know just make a longer chapter i think 20 20 pages for a first chapter is very short i think if mm-hmm. i think you could have easily added more on just to give us a better impression of what this series is about because that's what your first chapter should be setting up is like how can i expect to feel going forward in this like i i like it when first chapters sort of have a self-contained message or they hint at the theme or have some sort of emotional hook like i really like when it does that not every chapter does it but i like when they do that that's valid i would say that again uh, a little nugget of understanding that i guess i come in with having the outside context pre-existing is that i also agree i feel like the first chapter felt fairly rushed but i think it's just because there are a number of elements that it needed to introduce because those elements will come back into the story later by nature of video game design and i think it was just trying to make sure that it could introduce all of those things it needed to introduce and not linger or spend too long on one particular chunk of the game um especially like if if the entire game is getting condensed into one volume of a manga or i think in its initial run it was 10 shorter volumes or something like that um that's now compiled into one um volume i think it's probably just a matter of trying to pick and choose which pieces they're going to linger on and which pieces they're not and i think that if like you read the entire comic in its entirety that probably evens out but since we're talking about first chapters and that was the first chapter i agree it comes off as mm-hmm. uh fairly rushed because it is yeah yeah that's fair I, I don't think there's anything wrong with just like combining the first two chapters of what would have been ocarina of time like maybe would have get, gotten a better understanding of the series like that but certainly if you have restrictions like that then that makes a lot more sense why they would have such a short chapter and that's just my guess i don't i don't know that for sure but that's my feeling on it Speaking of feeling, I think we felt everything that we can feel, and a lot of what you just actually had to say, Pierce, bleeds into the category of how well the series was executed in this first chapter, how well the ideas at play were executed, and I think that leads us right into our last topic that we really want to break it down under, which is idea. Um, so idea is a category that uh, breaks down into concept and execution. The overall concept, I think we've already done a pretty decent job of talking about, and, you know, kind of at the core of that for this particular series is that idea of how well can you make a faithful and engaging adaptation of something that is derived from a pre-existing work of fiction without having to make it, you know, the same thing over again or boring. Like, can you bring in new people? Um, Can you adapt something into a different form of media and keep what is lovable and great about the original while uh, making it work and making it really shine in this new medium. Those are a lot of big questions for the very first chapter of Ocarina of Time, the manga, (laughs) to get into, I think. I actually think those questions would be really interesting to talk about, like, in the entirety of the manga, but within the context and the scope of the first chapter, I would say that it does a fairly decent job. I think anybody like Natasha and I, and as we've already said throughout the episode, who is familiar with the games and has played Ocarina of Time, will enjoy going into this first chapter and seeing the way that they've chosen to adapt the various elements of that part of the story. And I think, as you have said, in spite of um, you know certain criticisms or things that felt less familiar based on your own experience, 
I think it still manages to, at the very least, like, be entertaining to people that are coming in without that context. So, I would say it does a decent job. And again, I kind of said this in the last category, and maybe I should have saved it for this, but maybe my big takeaway is that, like, I really appreciate that they didn't just make it a one-to-one adaptation of Link doing the exact same stuff you do in the game, because that would be boring for everybody. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree with that. Because, like, obviously, if you want to start the game and immediately spend your entire time cutting grass, then, yeah, by all means. But you don't want to translate that into a comic. So the way that they put personality into Link, like, it's just, it's fun. It's nice. It was good to read. There's that word again, fun. It was fun. It was. I would appreciate if they went just a little further with the branching it off into its own thing and not doing the one-to-one, like, from what you guys said, they aren't doing that. I want them to take it a step further. I think it could be a solid coming-of-age story. I mean, Link not knowing where he came from, you know, he's misplaced in this place that he's trying to fit into in Kokiri Forest. Uh, He's trying to get a fairy, but he doesn't have one. He's the only person who doesn't have one. And finding out who he really is, who is like a hero, it's a solid coming of age story setup. Um, it is so bizarre to hear that because, like, I knew it. <laughs> yeah, like, not, no, I don't think you're wrong. I think that those pieces are there, and I can totally see, like, why that is how the way the chapter plays out would, like, make you feel about what might be in store for you. It's just really interesting because, again, like, God, I cannot think of anything further from how I would describe the way stories in Zelda games go than coming-of-age stories. I really feel like if that maybe happens in, like, one or two, like, Wind Waker, Waker, I think, is a coming-of-age story, and I would not say any of the other ones are. I don't know, you could almost say with Ocarina, because... Spoiler alert! He literally gets uh, fast-forwarded through time. But he doesn't get to live any of that experience. No, he doesn't, but I think part of like when he's an adult is him being like oh shit i'm an adult now i gotta i have this big responsibility of taking down this villain like i wonder like but that's interesting because like that's not really something that gets explored in the game we don't really get inside of link's head and how he deals with Mm -hmm. uh going from being a misplaced outcast of a child to suddenly being a adult with a lot of responsibility on his Mm -hmm. shoulders um for things outside of like his world and his concern like we don't really yeah. get to explore that so i wonder if they do i think i think the way that they're framing it like pierce was saying i feel like that they're going to explore it. which granted i haven't finished reading the actual thing we've had this on our bookshelf for the past like two years and we only just picked it up but um i i think like since you pointed that out yeah absolutely and that actually makes me want to read it more now so i can see if that's the direction they go for because That'd be such a really interesting take. But yeah. So, this seems like a great place to transition into. Were you guys hooked? I gotta say, yeah, I was, definitely. I I was charmed by it, and like I said, I loved seeing personality in Link. Like, it's it's just so refreshing, I guess. Not, not that game Link is bad, it's just... It's nice seeing new life breathed into him. New, I say, as if this hasn't been out for like 20 years. But <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I I definitely, I'm, I'm hooked. Yeah, I would say that uh, I am as well. However, I think my stipulation is, again, to kind of mirror something I said earlier in the episode. I think primarily what has me hooked 
is my exposure to the source material and what that says about whether or not this first chapter provides a successful example of how to deliver on that concept of an engaging adaptation outside of that familiarity. I don't know if that means it's successful or not, but to me, what has me hooked is, yeah, seeing how they continue to get into those ideas and those concepts going forward. Like, um, I want to see how they reinterpret things that I'm familiar with in the games, and I want to see how they start to explore Link as a character, and that definitely has me hooked. Yeah, and that's totally valid. Like, that's your experience going in, then that's a totally valid reason to be hooked. What about you? Me personally, if you haven't guessed already, I was not hooked. It's so interesting hearing that you guys are saying that you would really like to see more of this personality in Link and that it's such a refreshing change. And one of the main things that did not hook me was that I didn't think there was enough emotion in him. I mean, not that... Like I was saying before, I get the thing that they're going for, this being sort of like the adventure begins sort of thing. And like, this is their their take on their adventure. So that much I get. And I guess I don't need a lot of personality from the main character to be hooked in that way but I guess what's also working against it for me personally is that again I would have really liked if this first chapter encompassed more of an emotional hook in some way shape or form if they had given it Mm -hmm. a little more room to breathe and let it establish itself apart from other adventure series I think it would have done it more for me and just to relate it to Uh, my own experience in my own comic creating. When I was first starting my comic years ago, I remember thinking that I really had to conform to like the Shonen Jump model, where your first chapter needed to be like 40 to 50 to 60 pages long. And after that, like every other chapter had to be like 19 pages exactly. And I remember worrying about that, but really like especially if you're not publishing this in a a serialized magazine or anything, if you're just doing this as a webcomic, like, you should not care about that at all. You should do whatever your chapter needs, whatever your story needs to be, that's how long it should be. So, for example, I'm redoing my first chapter, as and, like, I have it thumbnailed out. It's 88 pages, and, like, I've had people read it, and they tell me it doesn't feel like 88 it feels like it flows really well and like that's what it needs and i think that that works yeah yeah so i would say don't don't worry about page length and just another aside while i'm on the topic of shonen jump i'm reading doctor stone and that's like every chapter is like 19 pages likewise the latest chapter that they came out with for one punch man it is 74 pages long for one chapter oh my god Dang. But I read it faster than I did any 19-page chapter of Dr. Stone. And it fits. It works for One Punch Man. So that's what they went for. And I think that's how, generally, I think it'd be good if people approached their comics that way, too. I 100% agree. Yeah, I do as well. I wish I had more to, like, elaborate on that point, but I think you guys summed it up really well. Okay. Well, what about our dear beloved audience? Were you hooked? Yeah. Did you learn anything today? Please let us know. You can let us know by emailing us at storyhookpodcast at gmail.com. 
and maybe you can let us know what you'd like us to look at next. Uh, no promises. <laughs> yeah, no promises. We're we're open to looking at like uh, original works as well, but we really want to be careful about how we tackle those, and so that's probably going to be few and far between. Those are going to be structured a little differently too. Yeah. But yeah, throw suggestions at us. We'd love to see what you guys think. Yeah, let us know if you learned anything. And uh, whether or not you agreed with anything that we had to say. Was it helpful? Yeah, and while you're at it, you can follow us on YouTube or whatever podcast app you're using to listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, like, our look and feel and idea, help us look better. <laughs> and it makes us feel good. And we'll continue to talk about cool ideas for you. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> that's my pitch well anyways this was fun <laughs> in the meantime if you guys want to check out any manga i would suggest downloading the viz app you can read a lot of first chapters on there for free and maybe our next series that we discuss will be off there maybe not you don't have to pay anything and you can read a lot of first chapters so maybe get some reading in for next time also, we name-dropped it several times in this episode. Uh, if you have access to Crunchyroll, uh, definitely check out the Deltora Quest anime if you like uh, fun popcorn fantasy stuff like the <laughs> Ocarina of Time manga because, as we said earlier, it's a very, very fun thing. And um, if you're into that type of thing, maybe check out the books. It's always cool to check out uh, fantasy that is written by women. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, uh, I think that about wraps up everything that we have to say about Ocarina of Time. So, <laughs> yeah thanks for listening yeah i think we can succinctly <laughs> say yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening and we'll see you next time yeah <laughs> thanks <laughs> thank you that was really good <laughs>